the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country too. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for waking up and starting your day with us at nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. You probably got up earlier than this and heard you some Hugh Hewitt, and uh, and that's good, too. But we appreciate you being here as we get going on this Tuesday. It's the 19th morning of the ninth month in the year of our Lord, 2023, and we have a packed show for you this morning. Most importantly, you should know that today is Tuesday, and that makes it a cursing out day. I just got a text from a good buddy named Pete who said, uh, my favorite day of the week, cursing out day. And yes, Pete, I agree. Uh, we'll be uh, entertained and enlightened by Peter Cursenow coming up at 1010. Before that, however, at 935, we're going to talk to somebody who's arguably more important than Peter Cursenow, simply by the uh, nature of his job. He is the, the uh, lieutenant governor of the state of Ohio. John Husted will join us at 935, so about a half an hour from now, a little less than a half an hour from now, because I want to ask him what the plans are in the state of Ohio. What are the plans for the fall COVID fear-mongering? Will the governor's office, the Ohio Department of Health, will the lieutenant governor himself be a part of it? Will they 
partake in this massive push to get boosters in the arms of uh, Ohioans six months of age and up? Or will they kind of stay low-key on this, considering the cat is out of the bag now? And that's what I'm literally going to ask him. I'll ask him if he and they realize that the cat is out of the bag. I mean, I've got a headline in front of me, and I've been, I talked about it a few days ago when I saw it for the first time. This is NBC News, mind you. Not see, not uh, uh, you know uh, Salem News Media or you know some conservative Newsmax or OANN. This is uh, this is NBC News. Doctors say they're finding it increasingly difficult to distinguish COVID from allergies or the common cold, even as hospitalizations tick up. And part of the you know, part of the, the plan, as you probably have figured out by now, is to make sure that anybody who comes in with any of those symptoms, symptoms of the common cold, uh, the plan is to check them into the hospital so that they can say it's somebody's got COVID and they're in the hospital. That's how they make this work. The fear-mongering happens by creating uh, terror in the minds of people. Oh, my gosh, I don't want to go to the hospital. I'll go roll up my sleeve again. But the doctors are basically saying it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cold. It's a cold. Or it's allergies. When is the last time you checked yourself into the hospital for allergies or for a cold? When is the last time you went ahead and did something stupid like take a COVID test for something that feels like allergies and a cold? Quite literally, they're saying people are, quote-unquote, suffering from a sore throat and congestion. (laughs) Sounds like every other cold that I've ever had. Oh, my gosh, my throat hurts and, and, and I'm congested. I better go get a swab and check myself for COVID. How about <clears throat> you take some some uh, sulfedrin or pseudoephedrine and uh, and uh, and and maybe a, a lozenge for your sore throat and wait two days and it goes away. Instead, we're going to go and have them jam something up your nose and then say we're going to check you in here. We're going to make sure we take great care of you. We're going to cure your COVID. This is just this is too much. Um, what's Ohio planning to do? We're going to talk about it with John Husted, the lieutenant governor. We put a request in for Mike DeWine, but Mike DeWine, of course, can't be bothered with people ask him difficult questions. And he knows from my last interview with him on COVID that I will ask him difficult questions. But John Husted is willing to step up, and he'll uh, he'll join me at 935. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk to Pete at 1010. We're going to talk about... Um, Parents' rights when it comes to the ongoing transing of their children with Mary Rice Hassan. That'll be coming up at 1110. So we'll tell you more about that a little bit later on. So I want to start today. First, let's start with our pledge so I can get into this uh, medical stuff with some, uh, uh, with, with a little bit of time to spare. Uh, Patriots, go ahead and stand. Put your hand on your heart. Join us and face your flag as we do our pledge of allegiance. If you do not believe in medical freedom, if you believe in the government being able to coerce or confuse, um, simple-minded sheep into rolling up their sleeves for a common cold. If you like that sort of thing, then you don't really respect liberty anyway. You have no earthly idea what the flag represents. So don't fake it. You are not compelled to stand and and pledge your allegiance to it. You can instead take a knee over there next to the socialist ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic 
for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So I want to share this with you first, because I want to get into the medicine this morning in this first half hour, because I have John Husted coming up, and I want to talk about this briefly. Marianne Jensen is um, is just a mom from Prince William County, Virginia, but she went viral uh, in 2022, February of 2022, when million, nearly nearly a million people at that point had watched this video of her confronting the Prince William County School Board. And um, she stood there and she took them on, and she did so, uh, you know, on the standard issues of trying to sexualize and groom children uh, with, uh, you know, pornographic imagery and pornographic literature and all of the other things that are going on, along with, you know, pride flags and pronouns and so forth. And I could play that three-minute uh, speech she gave to the board, but it's not important. I just want you to know that she's not an unknown mom. I mean, she's kind of unknown, but like I said, more than a million people saw her viral video. So she is the same mom who posted this um, on Sunday. And it is also getting, it's got 2.5 million views on Twitter. And I read it this morning for the very first time, about two hours ago, and I was getting ready for this show. And I was uh, taken by it. So I reposted it or retweeted it or whatever and, and liked it. And I want to read it to you. Her name is Marianne Jensen. Took my 14-year-old to, and tell me if you can relate to this when you hear this too. Mom, Dad, you probably have. You probably have had this moment in, uh, in, in your kid's uh, life when it comes to their doctors. But listen, took my 14-year-old to the doctor Friday as if the renewed mask charade wasn't bad enough. Halfway through, the doctor asks me to leave. Over my dead body, I said, this is my child, and anything can be discussed with both of us. She then proceeded to ask if there were any questions about gender identity. Nope, I stopped it right there. We cannot continue to fuel this madness. Fight it. Don't let your child fall prey to a manufactured identity crisis. It ends with us, or it continues to lay claim to more children <clears throat> until the family, <clears throat> excuse me, until the family <clears throat> and our children literally become unrecognizable. Don't fall for the love narrative. This is a political path that only leads to pain and suffering for everyone involved, especially the child. And she followed that tweet up with, The heartbreaker is that this this is the doctor that we switched to during COVID after ditch, ditching our pediatrician of 12 years because she turned into a vaccine zealot. The new doc started off awesome. Then this act of zombitude. Sigh. And the responses are from people who can relate. They have done it. They have heard it. Kenzie wrote, My son is 13, went for his physical this year. The nurse said, At this age, the parents will step out while we speak to them. My son looked at me and I said, No, thank you. I'll stay. Another person wrote, Our son is 14. His pediatrician asked him if he was okay with my husband staying in the room during his physical. Not a chance in hell my husband was leaving. We've lost a lot of trust in our medical institutions, and rightly so. And that is exactly correct. There are a lot of people who have these same stories. Maybe you're one of them. Because 
I don't know how much we can trust the medical institutions or the medical industry anymore. Since the medical industry is so hell-bent on jamming needles into every arm six months of age and up for pure and total profit, because they get paid to do it by the government and the big pharmaceutical companies get paid for selling the products. If they are willing to put profit above people's health, if they are willing to cut off healthy organs like breasts, on a young young uh, girl, uh, and and to cut off male genitalia and try to f- harvest flesh from their forearms to create a fake phallus uh, for for young confused kids. If they're willing to do those things for profit, I mean, how much can we really say we 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 truly trust that our medical professionals have our best interests in mind anymore? Rather than lining their own pockets and advancing their own social agendas, there's a website I would I would turn you to about all of this. Um, parentalrights.org. Parentalrights.org. There's a post there from August of 2012. So this is before COVID or any of the other things or the real transing stuff started in recent years. But it's uh, headlined: Your Pediatrician and Your Parental Rights. Doctors are trained in residency to gently steer the parent out of the room so they can do an assessment. But what they're doing beyond assessing is they are planting seeds. Now, not all of them. Typically, I would say this, and I think this is kind of a, I don't know, a pretty widely accepted viewpoint. The older the doctor, the better. If you have an old doctor, meaning old in age, somebody who's been practicing for 30 years or more, um, you're probably less likely to face this than if you have young, fresh, out-of-residency doctors treating your kids. They're the ones who have been trained to not just evaluate but to plant seeds and to ask questions that can lead to confusion, that can lead to uh, major problems for children generally and for children's relationships with their parents. It can be very intrusive. Do not allow that to happen. You have rights to stay in that room uh, when the minor that is in your care is being evaluated by or assessed by a physician. You have rights, and you stay put. All right? I just wanted to get that part in there because I read that tweet this morning, and I thought it was worth sharing with everybody. And, again, maybe you'll have some stories to tell uh, about situations where you have uh, you know, taken your kids to the pediatrician and, and been told to leave the room. Will you do that anymore? I won't because I don't trust what they're going to tell them. Not one single iota. At any rate, moving on to the issue, since we're going to talk to John Houston about Ohio, the Ohio Department of Health and their plans for this new COVID season. Uh, story on Fox 8 News, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have approved uh, the new COVID-19 vaccines for all Americans six months of age and older as the virus-related hospitalizations have been on the rise. While it has been recommended for everyone over six months, the side effects you experienced with the first COVID vaccines may have you on your heels about getting another dose. Unfortunately, there isn't much hope of that changing this time around. In other words, the story here by Fox 8, and uh, I think that they do the best job in Cleveland, the story here on Fox 8 is that the shots are very, very similar to the last ones, and that means the side effects are going to be very, very similar as well. Quoting the article, the main mix of ingredients remains the same in the new COVID shots, according to the FDA, but they have been updated to better target an Omicron descendant, the XBB.1.5. Though that mutant isn't as prominent now, experts believe the vaccine will still prove effective against the current mutations. 
They have no idea. They have no idea. Underscore no. How do we know? Because they admitted they did no human trials. None. The lack of major changes to the vaccine means your body's reaction isn't likely to change either. The updated vaccines are made in the same manner as the original vaccines. However, they are tweaked to target currently uh, circulating strains, said Dr. Kristen England at the Cleveland Clinic. Side effects will be similar to the previous. What are those side effects? The side effects, side effects can be serious. Some can be minor. Some can be much more serious. Common side effects of the profit shots... The poison darts by Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna include those that you know, you, the, the headache, the tiredness, the joint pains, <clears throat> the nausea, the fever that comes with it, diarrhea, vomiting, dizziness, irritability, swollen lymph nodes, and more. But more serious side effects are the ones that we're worried about because they have been reported in massive numbers through the VAERS system. And those are severe allergic reactions and non-allergic reactions such as hives, swelling, myocarditis, periocarditis, in, that's inflammation of the heart muscles, blood clots, palsy, and more. All of these things they are acknowledging are still possible while they tried to tell you for three years that the product was safe and effective. Well, those don't things don't sound like safety to me nor to anybody else. So what is the reality of the safety content? in the COVID-19 shots. What is the reality? Well, Dr. Peter McCullough is still doing yeoman's work on this. We had Dr. McCullough on last week. Dr. McCullough tells the truth about what is in these shots and what is being done to people, what is happening to them, rather, as a result of these shots. And guess who doesn't want you to know about it? YouTube. Google. Arguably the most influential force in America the Google Corporation, which owns YouTube. When you control information, you control everything. And Google likes to spike things that, that uh, get in the way of the agenda of that they have with their partners. And this is what Dr. McCullough says about that. YouTube is the most utilized video platform in the world. Many of my patients ask, Doctor, why don't we hear about vaccine side effects? People feel blindsided when they develop myocarditis, stroke, blood clots, or other common vaccine side effects, uh, but can find no information with standard Google searches landing on YouTube. Ning and colleagues performed a rigorous analysis of YouTube vaccine content and found that the platform is having effective content moderation. This means when you do a search, they are wiping vaccine safety off the platform as as anti-vaccine and replacing it with either irrelevant health information or pro-vaccine content. Did you catch that? Did you hear it? They are wiping YouTube clean of vaccine safety information and replacing it either with irrelevant health information that has nothing to do with it or pro-vaccine content. You have any idea how dangerous this is to people? How dangerous this is to us as a people, big picture? Sore throat, then congestion. Sore throat, then congestion. Go get a swab. Check into the hospital. More hospitalizations mean more of a push toward the ridiculous mask mandates and the pushing of these poison darts into your arms. So much information to get into here. Uh, We're going to talk to the lieutenant governor of the state of Ohio, John Husted. I'm going to ask him, what did Ohio leadership learn from the actual pandemic? 
And are they prepared to change or repeat the mistakes? Lieutenant Governor Husted joins me next. After the bottom of the hour news on Always Right Radio, AM 14. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 935. Thanks for being with us this morning on Always Right Radio. And it's a pleasure now to welcome back to our program the Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Ohio, John Husted. Lieutenant Governor Husted, good to have you back. How are you? Bob, thank you. I'm great to be back with you. So you guys have had a little bit of stuff going on. Uh, we're going to do flying cars in Dayton. Is that what's happening? Oh, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> the, the birthplace of aviation is now the future of aviation. You know, since the Wright brothers built planes there uh, over 100 years ago, uh, Dayton has not really capitalized on its aviation history by manufacturing airplanes there. And after, uh, you know, after 120 years of hard work, we finally got it back. And and uh, Joby, which makes uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, which are air taxis, uh, are going to build uh, about 500 aircraft a year there create 2,000 jobs, $500 million in capital investment, and it's just another, that's a a big lift, literally, for uh, the (laughs) Dayton economy and the spirits of the people of Dayton who take great pride in in their aviation heritage. Now, how much do you know about this? I'm not suggesting you're an engineer uh, and and can figure out the, the, you know, the physics behind it, but I mean, I'm thinking Jetsons style stuff here. When you talk about vertical takeoff, then propulsion, and then vertical set down, you know, like we see the Harriers, you know, uh, you know, those particular uh, uh, planes that, that can do that in the military, but that's a little bit different than what we're talking about. Is this like, how close is this? Is this legitimate, and how would it be regulated? Oh, how yeah. Would be, how would the traffic be run? Would air traffic controllers have to manage these, quote-unquote, flying cars the way they do, you know, airport takeoffs and so forth? So they're being tested right now in Ohio at the Springfield uh, Municipal Airport. There's, yeah. a, a, there's a testing facility there. I've actually flown one via a simulator, okay, and it's so easy to fly that I actually took it up, took a little travel around in the simulator and did a little travel around uh, the city of Springfield and landed it back at the airport, no problem. And uh, uh, that's how easy it is. It'll be piloted. It won't be just something that anybody can get into and, and fly. It'll hold uh, a pilot and four passengers. It has a range of 100 miles. You can fly up to 200 miles an hour. Uh, but the investors in it are Toyota, Delta Airlines. Delta was there yesterday. This is just, um, you know, a, a next a next level form of transportation. It's funny that you mentioned the Jetsons. Uh, I had somebody yeah. send me uh, the opening to the to the cartoon TV show Jetsons yesterday when this guy got announced, and um, it, it's really they're really really interesting uh, technologies, and you can go to. You can go to their website, Joby Aviation, and see um, the product in action. And uh, they opened it up for, you know, they're going to create 2,000 jobs. They opened up their uh, site where you could apply for jobs at 7 a.m. 7 yesterday, and I think by noon they had 400 applications. So people wow. seem pretty excited about do, it. Do you need a pilot's license for that? You do, yeah. Uh, okay. But this is, this is um, I mean, they're – I'm not going to I want to get too far out in front here, but this is um, a technology. I mean, look, we've had 
that you could you could fly these things without a pilot if you wanted to. Let's face it, because that's where you know it's right next to Wright Patterson Air Force Base. That's where all the drone technology was invented that we have been using in our military for many many years. These same technologies um, apply to what Joby is doing and other. And there are other manufacturers in this space as well, but it's pretty fascinating stuff. It's, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get a little over my head in terms of the technology and, and engineering, as you mentioned, but it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. Well, yeah, it is. And, and I'm looking at it right now on the website, on the Joby Aviation. For people who want to know, it's J-O-B-Y aviation.com, jobyaviation.com. And, and I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to be cynical here, but I'm wondering, like, what's the difference between this and a helicopter? It rises up from a vertical, uh, the, vertical the, the difference. Well, the difference is it's so quiet um, because it's electric. And so uh, it is, I mean, it's, I think they said when it's flying, it's like 65 decibels, which at a thousand feet, they said you would sound like the wind. It wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be problematic for, mm. you know, in, in, in any way, you know, those, those kinds of issues. And look, some people, some people are uh, um, looking to, re- you know, have easier access to these kinds of, uh, you know, these types of travel situations. I'm curious how they would be used. Like, would they, ha- you know, because it's being called like a taxi, right? An air taxi. Uh, yeah. So, I'm, I mean, are we talking about short trips where these things can land in, in the streets or are they going to have to land at airports? No, you'd have to land them in like the same kind of place you would land a helicopter. That's a similarity. But I think okay. I think that I think that uh, the, the airlines view it as, hey, you know, we can add this as a service to our to what we do. Is that if you, you know, let's say that you land in Cleveland, but you really want to be uh, in Youngstown, that they can you know move you off the plane and into one of these things and take you to Youngstown. You don't have to drive there. I'm, okay. Or Right. I think it's. I think that's how they view it. And then you, when you get into bigger cities with a lot of congestion, uh, they can move you between airports. They can move you from office towers to airports, things like that. Uh, it's not like it's. Uh, it's not like these are going to be, uh, you know, something that is every that are everywhere. They're going to build like 500 of them a year. But when you think about it in a global market, there, there certainly seems to be like there would seems like there would be a market for that many a year. Globally, well, and I would imagine if it proves to be effective and efficient, um, the, the, you know, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five years from now, they could be everywhere. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I don't, you know how technology they, they is be, and yeah, how it expands. Yeah, it's crazy, it's, uh, it's but it's amazing know, that they're but... being built right here in Ohio, and it's going to be changing, po- potentially changing the the face of, uh, in some ways, of transportation, and it's all going to start here in Ohio. That's very, very cool. Um, we're talking to the lieutenant governor of the state of Ohio, John Husted. So, a couple of other things before I get into uh, COVID season because that's what i really want to ask you a lot about um we have two very big important constitutional amendments to decide on on november 7th i was quite frankly very very disappointed with the lack of effort from the executives in our in our state government uh toward uh you know passing the the special election amendment uh, on august 8th i know governor dewine issued a statement i think you know just basically via press release that he endorses uh, passing that to raise the threshold to 60 percent but he didn't go and travel the, the state the way a lot of others did um and i was very happy to see that the secretary of state did that the auditor did that uh you know the uh the attorney general i mean a lot a lot of a lot of people in leadership did a lot to get that passed but not the governor and I don't know what you did during that period of time. Will there yeah, be more I traveled, of an effort? I traveled, 
Okay, I and I apologize for that. I, I really like didn't that. know about you. I just know that the governor himself did not do much. So what is the plan for you and for Governor DeWine and everybody at the, you know, particularly Republicans who oppose this constitutional amendment to, uh, you know, to provide any time access to abortion and more without parental consent, uh, stripping away of parents' rights with issue one, and then, of course, the drug one on issue two. You Do you have plans to, to be yeah. actively involved in these? So... Absolutely. Uh, I, I know that I've heard the governor use the term that he's all in on trying to defeat issue one. Uh, he feels very strongly about uh, the right to life and, and feels that this is a radical proposal uh, that would more suited to California or New York rather than Ohio. Uh, we'll both be out there uh, campaigning for a no, no, no on one, no on two. Good. Um, but the, but the governor's already been out raising money, organizing people, um, activating the Ohio Republican Party, activating uh, pastors and ministers and, and 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 the Catholic Conference and everybody trying to to make sure that all hands are on deck to defeat issue one. Yeah, it's extraordinarily important that we get you know, everybody rowing in the same direction here, because we're talking about something more than, and I don't know, I don't want to minimize it by saying just abortion, but it's not abortion alone. Abortion is a huge factor here, but it's it's being framed because of the ambiguous language of those who wrote the, you know, wrote the amendment, the proposed amendment, um, in a way that takes parents' rights away from guiding their kids during some of the most vulnerable moments, particularly whether they're, you know, dealing with an unplanned pregnancy as a teenager or or, uh, you know, gender confusion that is being fomented in so many different places. And these kids can go on, uh, you know, puberty blockers and do chemical castrations and so forth based on the language of the amendment, Lieutenant Governor Husted, without mom and dad signing off. That's how important this is for parents' rights. Yeah, and you don't have to take your word or my word. I encourage everybody to read the actual amendment themselves and read it closely and watch and, and look at this word. It says, Every individual. It doesn't say adult. It doesn't mm-hmm. say woman. It says individual, which means every individual, which means kids, uh, have the ability to seek reproductive care, however you want to define that. And it can be defined broadly by a judge or by a doctor. And, and that would allow ch- you know, children to make their own decisions. And so if your 15-year-old... Um, uh, became pregnant, uh, and, and maybe under circumstances that even, you know, she could have been raped, she could have been uh, impregnated by an adult, uh, that they they could be forced to go get an abortion, and the parents wouldn't even know. And uh, look, this is this is a big issue. I think that we really need to focus on is parental rights, because I think in some ways the political left is trying to take away parental rights in making decisions about children and they think that the government can do a better job than parents and that's a serious serious concern that's just one aspect of what's wrong with this amendment 
Yeah, um, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that, and I'm, I'm glad that you and the governor plan to get out there and be very, very visible and very, very vocal about this, because this is um, this is going to set Ohio back, I think, in, in immeasurable ways um, if we become in any time. It's the most radical potential. Constant, and we've had some losses since Roe was was overturned and it became states' rights. We've had some losses in, in states that, in which um, abortion has been radicalized, and this particular legislation, or excuse me, amendment, language i think is the most radical of any of the other ones that we've already you know lost ground in so yeah yeah it is very radical and 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 it's good that the governor will be out there and i'll be out there and a lot of statewide elected officials out there but one of the things that i know we hope to do is lift up the voices of a lot of the women out there across ohio who believe that this is a radical idea that they want to protect their daughters they want to protect themselves uh they want uh, an Ohio that respects life. And so I think it's very important that we elevate a lot of our um, female voices who are are out there to give them uh, the stage to make this case, because I think, frankly, they can make it a lot better than, than m- many men can. We're talking to Lieutenant Governor uh, John Husted. So, Lieutenant Governor, let's talk about the new COVID season now. The shots are supposed to be ready by the end of this month. Uh, they are saying that they um, are good for anybody six months of age and older. Um, I would like to know what the position of the state government is, particularly by way of the Ohio Department of Health. In fact, before I ask you about that, let me ask you this now as we kind of do a little bit of, you know, retrospective, you know, look back, a little reflection here. Now that the actual big global pandemic is in the rearview mirror, what lessons do you believe that Ohio government has learned from the way they handled it the first time? Um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned that we needed to ask tougher questions of the medical prof- the self-appointed medical experts. On, on this, uh, that we needed to challenge and ask more questions, and I think we've learned a lot from that. I think it was in our in our natures to just trust whatever a doctor or a medical professional said, and I think that that's changed now. That we uh, need to ask tougher questions. That we need to bring dissenting voices uh, further into the conversation on a lot of those kinds of issues, so that. Um, uh, we can make better judgments. I think that's probably one of the main takeaways that I have from it. And uh, and that when you educate people and you give them the truth and the facts, that they will make the best decisions for them. For example, we one of the one of the points I pressed all along is that it was very different for older people who were maybe had comorbidities than this for children. There was no reason to do some of the things that that were done to children because they were not affected by uh, the virus the way that older people and less healthy people were. All those good lessons to take away from it as we inform the decisions going forward. Do you think that those lessons will be applied this time around? Again, CDC says that the new variation of the drug or the Moderna and uh, and uh, Pfizer-BioNTech products um, are good for six months of age and over, and everybody six months of age and over should get this thing. Based on what you just said, we know that children are not affected the way older people with comorbidities are. Will the state be pushing these and promoting these into the arms of uh, of young kids and even adolescents? Uh, I certainly won't be, uh, and I don't believe that there is any plan for the, anyone in state government to be involved in doing anything like that. If people want them, 
if they it, it if they want them great that's what that's their choice but there is uh uh no plan to the best of my knowledge for anybody to be promoting these kinds of things to to anyone and look it's it's your choice if you're if you're older and you think that this is important to you just like the flu shot then go do it but if you don't think it's a good idea for you your kids or anyone i mean look it doesn't affect kids as much so i just don't think that the my opinion as a parent not as a medical professional is that you know i don't think my kids need this stuff um the way that you know maybe my parents do does the governor share your views on this because i got the impression um two years ago two and a half years ago that you guys were not always in lockstep he seemed to turn virtually everything over to amy acton uh now that position of course is held by by uh, dr vanderhoff um does he share your your view on this, or is he going to step away again and just let the Department of Health make every decision, regardless of some of the lessons learned on the things that you know the the, the ramifications and the impact of lockdowns on school children, uh, masking, forced masking, which was mandated by the state in many places and areas and circumstances. Um, now that we know the damage that was done by a lot of those things, and moreover that the exhaustive studies that didn't exist before then, randomized controlled trials about the effectiveness of masks and stopping respiratory viruses like coronavirus now that we know the reality of all of this will will governor dewine act on the lessons learned i think so uh i don't know that he shares precisely my views on these issues and 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 uh you know and and, and to his credit he lists you know he gives me the chance to share my views, even when I disagree with him. But ultimately, these are his decisions. But I think he, I think he, um, in what I've heard so far in in any communication uh, on this, that he, you know, he thinks that the public knows the facts now, and and that they can make the decisions for themselves. That that, uh, and I think I think that's largely his view. Um. The reason I'm I'm being very specific about this again is because I feel like um, Ohio did a very very grave disservice to people with uh, with the panic that set in, and I don't mean panic by the people, I mean the panic by leadership. And again, that is not to specifically impugn you. I'm just you were the lieutenant governor, and and Governor Dewine did what Governor Dewine did, and I think a lot of people lost a ton of respect for him in pushing the vaxes through the Vaximillion program and so forth. I wonder if. They are going to be more specifically aware of the way the CDC is characterizing this new virus or the new subvariant, rather, uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted, because, I mean, I've got headlines all over the place, not from places you would typically see, you know, skepticism, but NBC News uh, reporting that doctors cannot tell the difference between the new COVID variant and allergies and the common cold because people are presenting with nothing but sore throats and uh, congestion. Normally, when people have sore throats and congestion, they pop a, a you know lozenge into their mouth or their throat, and they take some Sudafed for their congestion, and then they go back to work and go to school. Um, I, I want to know if the state of Ohio leadership, and I don't know if you've had any coordination or communication with the Department of Health, that they recognize that. I want to know if they plan on acting on the reality of what this is, which is pretty much next to nothing, and we need to stop testing everybody that comes in with a, with a, with a, with the stuff he knows. Yeah. Uh, look, I have heard no conversation from anybody internally inside the administration about uh, about taking any action in this space. Uh, I 
So there's been I mean, no huddles with Vanderhoff or anybody in the uh, no, Department of Health? None that I, completely none that I've been involved in or I'm aware of. And to the best of my knowledge, uh, you know, there's, there's just no conversations about it. Nothing. So if there's no conversations about it, does that mean that they're just going to let this thing play out? Or do you think there are things being done maybe without your knowledge? Uh, I don't... I. I would be highly surprised if there is, because honestly... Um, were, were you involved you know, in the original, because um, this could help shine a light on that, when the huddles were held between the governor and, and Amy Acton, the health director, and everybody else that was a part of Ohio's policy at that time, were you involved in all of those? Uh, not initially, but uh, eventually I was involved in many of those, and, and, and I used that as an opportunity in many cases to share data that wasn't being shared, uh, and particularly about kids. I was really leaning in hard on getting sports back for kids and getting kids back in school because the data was very clear. It wasn't affecting kids. And kids need, you know, they need to go be kids. And that was, you know, one of the things, one of the roles that I played and also trying to get uh, regulations that weren't anti-business that helped get businesses open uh, I was very much involved with those things, but I wasn't on every call. I couldn't possibly be. I, I picked the things I thought I could have an influence on. Uh, but I do know this, that there were a lot of hospitals and doctors who were in the governor's ear talking to him about, you know, why he needed to be tougher on things, uh, why he needed to be more restrictive on things. And, uh, you know, look, he's in a tough spot and he was trying to find a balance and, I think everybody learns from learns from those experiences, and you know, taking us back today and looking forward, I, I, I like I just don't believe that you're going to see anything from the state of Ohio in terms of asking anyone to do anything from from masks to vaccines or anything else. I think that if they that people know what the facts are, uh, and they can make choices for themselves. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. And I remember interviewing reviewing you during that time uh, that sports were allowed to restart again. And uh, and I know you were you were one of the leaders on that front. But I was just more curious about how much in the know you were as the original policies were established, and then, then as they changed, as the guidance changed as time went on. Because I w- I want to know if they would be doing things now, maybe without your knowledge. Are, are, are you? Yeah, I, to, I, are, I don't think to, so. Go ahead. I don't think I don't I think I would know something about it if there were any plans. And I just don't I've not seen anything where anybody at the Department of Health is is uh, planning anything of the sort. Uh, last question. Are you going to run for governor? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll wait until after this uh, election cycle's over. But if I run for anything, it'll be for governor. And, and, and it's probably likely that I will. All right. Well, uh, I look forward to uh, engaging in conversation along that path and uh, particularly, again, to to see where things go from from this point forward. We're looking for leadership in the state that, quite frankly, I don't think we have gotten a lot of from the current governor. And I know you work for him. You don't have to respond to that, but we're looking for something stronger and better. So uh, just to kind of throw that out there, that's what I know a lot of my listeners and a lot of your constituents are looking for as well. So hopefully what you're describing now about the state's response to this quote unquote new round of COVID season or what have you um hopefully um you're right well, and uh and bob i'll leave you i'll leave you with this okay. that if there's anything of the sort you can count on the fact that i will i will be very very uh vocal about making sure that we give people 
the the freedom to make their own choice. Medical freedom is what I'm looking for there, and 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 if you're if you're willing to say that, then I think a lot of people will be Amen. very happy. Amen about to that. that. Yep. All right. Lieutenant Governor John Husted, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, congrats again on Ohio getting the uh, the flying cars. We'll look forward to following that up, too. Thank you, sir. Great. Thanks. Flying cars are coming to Dayton. How about that? That's a crazy story. Uh, I needed to get that in because I saw that on the news yesterday. And uh, obviously, the state of Ohio is pretty proud of that. All right. Uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour. We're going to get a newscast. Then we're going to come back with Now. It's a Now day. Stay here on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Alrighty then, hour number two underway now, eight minutes past ten o'clock on this Tuesday, the 19th morning of the ninth month in the year of our Lord 2023. Before we uh, continue, yes, if you're listening on the airwaves because you could not get us on the streaming uh, signal, we realize it's down. Don't know exactly why because I'm not an engineer, but I do know that engineers are working on it to find out why the stream is not working. So our apologies for those who like to listen to it through their phone or through their um, computer or through their Alexa device or one of their home devices, you got to listen to it through an actual radio while the stream is down. So apologies for that, and hopefully just keep checking back. And I'll, if, As soon as we get word that it's up and running again, I'll announce it here so that you can go back and listen to it in a way that's more convenient for you. Sometimes these things happen. All right, I did mention the, what day it was, right? I got a text the first thing before I came out on the uh, on the air <clears throat> This morning, let me pull it up from Pete. Pete said, uh, let's see, at 9.05, right before the show started, I got a text from Pete that says, my favorite day, Kersenow Day. And I agree with that. Can you Peter Kersenow. Everybody's favorite genius, uh, Peter Kersenow, is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's an author, he is a columnist, he's a law professor, he's a lawyer, and he also happens to host the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer, every single week. Peter, good morning, how are you? Doing well, although I don't remember sending that text to you. <laughs> You're different Pete, my friend, different Pete. <laughs> well, well played, yeah. by the way. Yeah, but I'll tell you, um, all, all seriousness, uh, condolences to Nick Chubb, who's my favorite Cleveland Brown since probably Jim Brown. Uh, phenomenal running back, best in, in the NFL. I didn't actually see exactly how it happened. It, you know, I was watching the game kind of casually, and they refused to replay it, which suggests to me it must have been incredibly gruesome. But uh, it's a real, it, this guy's a class act all around. You don't have that many in the NFL or all of professional sports anymore, but everything that I've read and seen from him says that he's a class act. But, but just as important is uh, he's a brilliant football player. And uh, we haven't had anybody like that since, you know, I dare say, uh, I would say Jim Brown, but actually Leroy Kelly. People forget Leroy Kelly. He would have been one of the greatest running backs of all time, but he had the misfortune of following the greatest running back of all time, Jim Brown. But um, anyway, shout out to uh, Nick Chubb. 
Yeah, it's interesting when you say he's your favorite player since uh, since Jim Brown because you know you look back and a lot of people would say Bernie, a lot of people might yeah. say Clay, you know, a lot of people might say Joe Thomas recently inducted into the Hall of Fame. There have been a lot of uh, favorites, but if you are going with you know the marquee position, certainly Jim Brown, the greatest to ever do that, and uh, and yeah, I agree. I, I might I might flip your um your your priority there when you said even more importantly or even greater or something like that you know he's a great football player i would say he's a better person than he is a football player i'm not saying that because he got hurt yeah right i mean you know he's what's right about sports there's a lot of guys that you just you know who are great players you cannot stand because of their attitudes or because of their uh you know their lifestyle and so forth nick chubb is about as down to earth humble I don't think I've ever seen him show anybody up. I don't think I've ever seen him do pull any, you know, any of the stuff that you see from so many stars. He's a great person. So to see this happen to him, you know, as you know, I kind of gave up football and I'm not, I didn't watch the game, but I was online last night and I could not scroll from one Facebook page to another without seeing multiple pictures and slow motion video of the injury. And yeah, Pete, it was gruesome. Gruesome. You know how your knee actually bends? Well, his did the exact same thing, but sideways, based yeah. on the hit. His foot was planted on the turf, and when the hit came in on the legs, it just bent it sideways. So um, it's you know kind of like if it goes in reverse, it's a hyperextension. In this case, it probably tore every ligament and tendon in his knee, I would imagine. It was it was brutal to see, like I said, on Facebook last night. Um and you know what, Pete? Just I knew you were going to want to talk about this, so I just want to say this too because I was I feel badly for Minka Fitzpatrick, the Steelers player who hit him, because he's being attacked in all of the Cleveland pages. You know, saying it was a dirty hit. He targeted his knees, and and you know this has been the 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 way of football in the last thirty years. Nobody tackles anybody up high anymore because that's how you get stiff armed to the ground or you get run over. Everybody goes to the legs um, after every catch or in the open field with runners. It doesn't matter. Everybody's going low, which is why in the last five years you probably have seen more hurdles of players, you know, defenders trying to make tackles than you ever did in the last, you know, 100 years of football. Um, because everybody, you know, the ball carrier and the receiver know that when the tackler comes, he's going for the leg. So they jump over them. That's why the hurdle has become a go-to move. Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, in that, in that pile was going low because how else are you going to take Nick Chubb down as he approaches the goal line for crown out loud? Uh, the unfortunate part was is his foot happened to be planted as he was plowing forward and the knee got hit and that's the reason it happened. It's unfortunate, but I feel bad when guys who make hits, it's like Lawrence Taylor. He didn't tend to snap Joe Theismann's leg in half. He right. hit him high, and there happened to be somebody behind him on the ground that, of course, made that happen. It's just, it's, it's just unfortunate for the uh, for the defender when terrible things like that happen too. Yeah, you know, I'm just hopeful. I mean, it was a it was a horrific injury. Some people say, and I, you know, I hate to say anything about uh, ending anybody's career, but um, I'm hopeful. I'm going to pray that Nick Chubb can come back. His work ethic is legendary. Yeah, and um, you know. Who knows? Um, this is a kind of, if you look at his, I was just mentioning to somebody yesterday, I don't mean to be taking up the show with respect to this, but yeah. I was mentioning to somebody yesterday that um, when you look at Nick Chubb's legs, he's got legs almost like Earl Campbell's. Uh, he's a tractor, and he's well known for being an indefatigable workout freak. He, When he was in high school and college, this guy, he was disciplined, and he worked out constantly, and he kept his nose clean, you know, uh, he was just just an all-around good guy by all reports. 
And that's why it's, you know, you hate when anybody gets hurt, but when a guy does what you're, you're supposed to do, especially in today's professional environment where everybody seems to be a showboat and, a, frankly, a jackass, um, he seems to be a good guy who, you know, doesn't showboat and is just a phenomenal player, and I, I hope he comes back. Yeah, I agree, and he, he doesn't showboat. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty good analogy. I don't know if anybody has ever had Earl Campbell thighs because they're like a normal man's waist, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is crazy to think about, it, but it's true. But he's, you know, he may be as close as there's been. Marshawn Lynch yeah. had kind of a lower body like that, too. He did. He did. Yep. Day. yep. But, uh, but, yeah. But Nick, Nick Chubb, Chubb was a, better, actually. Nick Chubb is better. And, uh, you know, remember the old famous phrase from Tom's Hollywood Henderson, when you hit Earl Campbell, your IQ goes down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, you know who else might 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 be up in that category is uh, Christian Okoye. If you remember Okoye, he had those uh, yeah, yeah, tree yeah. trunk yep. tree trunk legs as well. But but yeah, I think Nick Chubb, Chubb does so many other things you know better. But all right, be that as it may, let's uh, let's move on to more important issues, Peter. Um, I'm you know I'm looking at this uh, this rotting corpse of a president of the United States uh, trying to um, being charitable. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, you know, trying to make a case for his own reelection, and I, I watched what happened yesterday, and I, I of course am am happy for the families of the, you know, and the individuals of the five Americans who were uh, released from Iranian det- Iranian detention. Um, but my gosh, uh, I, I I listened to Admiral John Kirby, who's a spokesman for strategic comms for the NSC, and I, I, you know, I. I'm just blown away. He was saying, why did you, if you're doing a five-for-five five prisoner swap, why did they have to get $6 billion to use in whatever the way they want as well? And he said, well, that was the deal we were able to make. You know, sometimes you don't want to be on the other side of a negotiating table. When did it become okay to negotiate anyway with terrorists who right. take Americans hostages? This is something that has been a part of U.S. policy, uh, foreign policy, forever. The only two people who have ever broken it are Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Obama, when they did the Bo Bergdahl swap for five Taliban detainees uh, in Afghanistan, and now this one. How on earth um, can, can they can they shake or clean the blood from their hands when the next Americans are grabbed because they know the Americans will play ball. The Americans will give us back not only people and assets, they will also pay us off uh, to get their people back. I mean, this is this is an astounding departure from, again, you know, literally two centuries plus of, of American foreign policy. And it reverberates beyond simply that. It signals a decline in American standards that, puts a target on our backs, not just in terms of hostage-taking, but in terms of rolling over us in almost anything else, whether it's Putin deciding that now's the time to invade Ukraine or if Xi decides to invade Taiwan. It signals a weakness that is dangerous, not just to individual Americans who are overseas, but to all of America and our foreign policy. You're right. Obama did something like this. He sent pallets of cash over to Iran. We have to ask, we've never really gotten an understanding as to why that happened. The media is incredibly incurious when it comes to what, if anyone else had done certain things, would be viewed as outright treason. And that's not too harsh a word. But with Biden, you know, it's stupidity, it's weakness, it's a whole host of things. But what we know now is, or at least what our adversary knows know now, is that for at least the next year and a half, the price of an American, if you can get an American, is a billion dollars. You can get a billion dollars per American. This incentivizes the bad guys. And believe me, they're going to do everything they can to do this. Whether or not they think they can get it, they know that now is the time. Here's their window of opportunity because if 
Biden is not reelected, which is very, very probable that he's not going to be reelected, regardless of whether it's Trump who uh, supplants him or somebody else. But, you know, this is going to end in a year and a half. So now's the time. Do it right now. So if you're going overseas, if, uh, you know, you have, you know, God forbid, be very careful, be vigilant, because one thing you do know is this administration does not have your back. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's very well said. And and the the frustrating thing, too, from the State Department, from Blinken and also, like I said, from Kirby, they're trying to they're trying to gaslight us into saying, no, 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 that six billion dollars won't be able to be used for them to continue their nuclear uh, nuclear program uh, to expand their um, uh, their operation there to build the weapon that they want to use to wipe Israel off the map. No, 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 no. They can only draw from this in certain instances. Well, the the the, the uh, or not the Ayatollah, um, the president. They have a lot of different leaders, the mullahs and the Ayatollah, and uh, and, and but whoever they they call their president. I, I saw a clip where and it was translated that he said. This is Iranian money. It will be used however we want to use it. Uh, completely sticking a finger in the eye of Blinken and and Kirby and, and Biden and everybody else who are trying to say, no, that this money can only be used for humanitarian purposes or economic development and nothing to do with the nuclear program. So they're basically saying, we will do what we want to do, and you can do nothing about it. And you know what, Pete? When, when there's somebody as weak and feckless as Joe Biden as the commander-in-chief, he's right. There's nothing we can do yeah. about it. And it really just angers me that an Admiral Kirby, and I'm not sure what kind of an admiral he is, but he would try to, as you say, gaslight us, try to get us to believe that, in fact, this money is dedicated to only one humanitarian use, and that it can't, it, like, we're, we're a bunch of idiots. This is, this is extraordinary. But what it says to all of our adversaries, too, is this administration will be complicit in whatever damage you want to do to the United States of America. They don't care. They will lie to their own people on your behalf. That's what's happening. What's going on here is truly extraordinary and unforgivable. You, first of all, to negotiate with Iran under any circumstances where we're giving them anything. Uh, you know, if we're going to give them anything, we give them uh, you know, nuclear weapons on top of Tehran. That's what we do. But you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating slightly, as you know. But my goodness, to... Uh, to negotiate with the world's greatest uh, spreader of terrorism around the world, greatest sponsor of terrorism around the world, and they yeah. are. They, they truly are, without question. Their Quds Force is legendary by themselves, but they also finance virtually every other terrorist organization in the world. And that $6 billion, as you say, it's fungible. $6 billion is freed up to do whatever they want to do, and some of it's going to be found in the hands of terrorists who are going to be doing damage to the United States of America. The Biden administration may be stupid, but they're not so stupid not to recognize that because a four-year-old would recognize that. What they are telling the American people is we don't care if America is harmed. We're going to do whatever we want to do that we think is in our best policy interests, whatever that may be. And their policy is they don't like America a whole lot. You can hear it in their statements. You can see it in their actions. This is an administration that when they take acts or don't take acts, like the border, take a look at the border. That is detrimental to everything about the United States, not just our national sovereignty, but to our economy, to crime rates, to health, you name it. And the double standards are incredible. But virtually every action they take harms America. It's truly stunning. And yet we have a media that puts, you know, its eyes, ears are closed. They won't know, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil about it. They're utterly corrupt. 
The United States is going downhill fast, and all of us know it. Not too many of us have the ability or resources to slow the, the descent down to put the brakes on. Yeah, well, none of us do. Uh, that's the reality, and not just not too many. I don't know anybody uh, in the general population who can do that. It is the leadership, of course, that we are looking to. Pete, we'll take a time out here. It's 1023. When it come to the domestic side in a moment. Um, yeah, uh, Secretary Yellen says that gas prices are affordable, and she's actually proud of how uh, Biden has handled uh, our gas prices. Inflation is back up on the rise. Gas prices are near record highs, and, in fact, are record highs for seasonal adjusted averages. We'll get your thoughts on that. Too, as we continue, always right radio on AM 1420. The answer. Okay, 1027. <clears throat> continuing now on AM 1420. The answer. So we're talking about the uh, the rapidly decomposing corpse that is Joe Biden, uh, and he continues to wreak havoc on the American energy industry as well. Gasoline prices have soared to U.S. seasonal record. Uh, average gasoline, uh, uh, regular gasoline now costs three eighty seven a gallon, a seasonal record on a trailing twelve month basis, according to the American Automobile Association in California. They are now up to five uh, thirty five or somewhere in that neighborhood a gallon. Uh, Secretary Yellen, Peter Kersenow, said this. About we are that. seeing lower inflation, which is why I'm wondering how you're thinking about the gas price move. Big jump in the month of August. Crude is back above ninety dollars per barrel. The Saudis are extending the production cuts through the end of the year. Are you looking at taking any action on this front? Well, the president wants to make sure that gas prices remain affordable for Americans. Um, Americans care a great deal about the price of gas. Um, they're still down a dollar twenty off their highs last summer. They're still down a dollar twenty off of their highs last summer, highs that were brought about by Biden energy policy. Exactly. And now the Treasury Treasury Secretary, I don't know if you caught it in the first part of her response, she said President Biden wants gas to remain affordable. They think three eighty seven a gallon is affordable for the average middle class American family, Pete. Yeah, uh, th- this is, again, we talked about gaslighting, uh, which is a term that I just, it bothers me. I don't really like it, but, you know, everyone understands it and it's descriptive. They're They're trying to tell us, you know, don't believe your lying eyes, basically. And I remember filling up. I remember distinctly the weekend before Biden's inauguration, filling up at my favorite gas station, and the price was two sixteen a gallon. Two sixteen. Right now, it's three thirty seven. The average price in Cleveland, I think, is right around there. But like you're, you're right, in California, it's six dollars a gallon. In many other places in the United States, it's four to five dollars a gallon. And as you indicated, it's a little bit low, lower, maybe, than it was just a couple of months ago. But that's because Biden's record highs, unimaginable, just three years ago. Well, you know, Trump had predicted it, but you, you saw it happening when the first act he takes is to zone out or cancel out the Keystone Pipeline. He cancels leases. He sells oil petroleum reserves from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to China and depletes it. I mean, the, the things they are doing, you, you have to ask yourself, you know, the old rhetoric about, you know, if they wanted to destroy America, what would they be doing differently? Yeah. That's a real honest question at this point, from open borders to the, the you know, crime, you name it. You know, the things they've been doing are astonishingly stupid. They are too stupid to think that they're simply happenstance. There has to be a method to the madness, a kind of cloward piven strategy to kind of collapse the system. Um, I'm not saying that, that that's the, the strategy, but sure enough, 
that's exactly what's going on. Systems are collapsing right now. This is this, and, and, and as I've said before, and I keep uh, you know beating this dead horse, but it's important because so much of America is driven by what people believe, and, and these folks follow the, the polls like no one else. The polls yeah. don't look very good, but they should be horrific. They'd be even worse if we had an honest media, but we have a corrupt and stupid media that simply promulgates stupidity and repeats the falsehoods of the administration. Yeah. Uh, we're in bad shape. All, all, we're in bad all the shape. way around. All the way around. And what is our option? Our option is to replace him. The leading candidate had a very, very bad week of interviews between Megyn Kelly and Kristen Welker. President Trump had a bad week. I'm going to get Peter Kirstenau's thoughts on that coming up, too. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1035. Let's continue now with our good friend Peter Kersenow. I just got somebody who messaged me again and said, it sucks that the streaming is out. You should bring Kersenow back. No, we're not going to make him repeat all this, uh, but you can catch it. It is being recorded, so it will be uploaded to the podcast page at whkradio.com sometime later today, so you will be able to stream the whole conversation uh, and listen to it at your leisure. So we do apologize for the fact that the stream is out right now. It is being addressed as quickly as such things can be addressed by people much, much smarter than I. Okay, Peter Kirsten out. <clears throat> We've uh, talked it in some depth about uh, about Joe Biden, and we, we could go on and on and on. Obviously, the border is a simple, simply a disaster, but let's talk about the antidote. The antidote would be, of course, getting rid of him and getting a staunch conservative Republican in his place, which brings us to the polls. President Trump continues to rise no matter what he does, no matter what he says, no matter what happens in the court systems, he rises. He went from 53 to 60 percent uh, in a Fox News poll in the month of August. And yet there are conservatives scratching their heads, wondering who the hell this is. Can a man become a woman? Um, <laughs> in my opinion, you have a man, you have a woman. I, 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 think, I think part of it is birth. Can the man give birth? No, no, although they'll come up with some answer. That wasn't a question, of course. The question wasn't can a man give birth, it's can a man become a woman? And the hem and the haw and the laughter and the uh, I'm not going to answer that question. Peter, we're watching the transing of America. We're watching the grooming of young children, the confusion of them intentionally by some very, very bad people with some very, very bad intentions. Um, we need somebody who is in a position of power and profile like his to say, of course not. Um, how, how quickly would it, how long would it take you, Peter Kirsten, now to answer the question, can a man become a woman? Uh, that was the answer well, he gave, and how do you how yeah, do you analyze right. that? Well, you know the ob- answer is obvious. No, they can't. You, you can't. That's that's clear. He's had a couple of disappointing interviews um, and puzzling interviews because normally yeah. Trump doesn't hedge. Typically, you know, one of the complaints that people have, both on the left and right, is he just bulls forward and says whatever he wants to say, and that's one of the most attractive features about him: love him or hate him. Uh, you know precisely where he stands. Um, now, okay, this is a couple of times he's done this. So in the how many years, six or seven years that he's been on the presidential scene, uh, you know, he hasn't done this very often, whereas other politicians do this on a daily basis. Nonetheless, it's troubling to see this, this iteration of Trump at this particular point. Now, I'm willing to give 
Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt because he rarely would he- would hedge at all while he was in office. He has a track record we can look back to. The big complaint is he doesn't hedge or there is no nuance. You know, he simply bulls forward. But um, somebody's got to get to him and say, hey, look, that was an, that was very untrumpian. We don't like that. And, uh, you know, for him, the good news, I think for him, he believes the good news is he's got an insuperable lead in the primaries. He's at 50 plus percent and everybody else is in the single. I mean, maybe somebody's in the low double digits. But uh, he's going to be the nominee unless he completely implodes. But he's got to sharpen up his game. It's truly em- 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 embarrassing that uh, he would say something like that. And it does have a lot of people scratching their heads. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, we're sitting here in, in Ohio. I just had John Husted on, and we were talking about issue one, which is so extraordinarily important that we defeat. It will allow any time abortion on demand, uh, and take parents out of the, uh, out of the, uh, decision making process for their, for their teenagers who find themselves pregnant or their young kids who find themselves gender confused because they've been taken in. And, and, you know, so we need a leader who's going to fight, uh, on behalf of pro-life issues. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, the, uh, series of interviews. The other one was, of course, on Sunday with, uh, with Kristen Welker. So I want to play this clip because this is important for people to hear as well when asked about the issue of abortion. Mr. President, I want to give voters who are going to be weighing in on this election yeah. a very clear sense of where I think you stand I on I think this. they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me. Let, let me what, but what's let going President, to have to Mr. happen President, is you're going to have to... Question, Kristen, please. you're asking me a question. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months. You're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy because... 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If a federal... That is just flat-out false. That is flat-out false, but I'll let this finish. ...world ban landed on your desk if you were re-elected, would you sign it at 15... Are you talking about a complete ban? A ban at 15 weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks that seems to be a number that people are talking about right now would you sign that uh, uh, i would i would sit down with both sides and i'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace in that issue for the first time in 52 years uh, i'm not going to say i would or i wouldn't i mean de sanctus w- is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. would you support that you think I, that i think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake there's so much trash to unpack from that entire minute and seven seconds but i'll go to the end of it peter governor DeSantis signed the same exact heartbeat law in florida that we have here in the state of ohio that was signed by mike dewine once the heartbeat is recognized it is another being its life must be protected he said that's a terrible thing that's a terrible idea that's a terrible thing that he did by signing such a thing how does he keep pro-life voters on his side when he won't even acknowledge the existence of a baby with its own heartbeat that it should be protected? He's going to lose some pro-life voters, there's no doubt about it. That doesn't mean they're going to flip over and vote for Biden or whoever the Democratic nominee is, but they're going to be people who stay at home as a result of that, unless he comes back and says, look, um, I was in the middle of an interview, I, I apologize, I was not thinking straight, whatever it may be. I think people will give him a mulligan. Have you he ever heard those words come out of his mouth, though? Have you ever heard the words, no, I apologize? No, no, me either. No, no, I, I've, I've not. I've, I've not heard that before. But he'll come up with some kind of formulation. People around him will tell him he's got to do it, just simply for political reasons, because there's a significant share of uh, Republican voters, the pro-life movement, 
who were appalled by that. I've heard from them. Uh, I am appalled by that. The fact that he couldn't get his answers straight and he should be prepared for that. This is not his first time at bat. He's pre- he was president already. He's gotten so much incoming fire that you think that he'd be able to answer something like that clearly without any kind of equivocation whatsoever. He looked like he was trying to, or he sounded like he was trying to thread a needle. Now, having well, he said is. that... He is, and, 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 and I apologize. Let me just stick this in before you finish your answer. He's, he's trying to say, it's like, it's like when he said, I would end the Ukraine-Russia war in 24 hours. No, you won't. You can't. He's, I'll bring them together. They'll listen to me. I'll bring the pro-life and the pro-choicer sides together. We'll decide on a week's and month's number, and everybody will be happy. Both sides will like me. No, you won't, because there is no number that the Democrats, the pro-choicers, will support because they believe my body, my choice, all the way up through pregnancy, which is what Donald Trump himself himself used to believe or stated very emphatically that he believed pro-choice all the way up to the very end, including partial birth abortions. So so there's no way that there's going to be anything. And quite frankly, there is no pro-life organization that's going to sit at a table with him and say, OK, we'll settle on 15 weeks or 20 no. weeks or 24 weeks or whatever, because that's what Roe did basically with viability. So it's, it's just such a... It's such a trying to thread the needle, but what it, what that is a fancy way of saying is of sitting on a fence and not being able to answer the question. Yeah, I, I guarantee you that sometime, who knows when, but sometime in the near future, he is going to correct that. There's no doubt about it, because without question, people got to him right after that and said, what the heck were you saying? First of all, whether or not you believe it or not, that is something that is electoral poison if you want to... For, if if pro-life people stay at home or are less than enthusiastic, Trump doesn't win. And what he wants to do is win, regardless of what his position is. And I couldn't tell you what his position is, frankly. I really don't. I, I can tell you this, that I'm 98% certain that a Trump in the White House would be a pro-life president. But when he says stuff like that, you have to wonder what the heck is going on. You have to wonder when a bill comes onto his desk that, you know, pro-life, pro-lifers don't support, what is he going to do with it? It... Pro-lifers have been disappointed, now, that's a mild term, so many times by Republican elected representatives that we are necessarily very queasy whenever people make statements like that. And Donald Trump better correct that very fast. He's already having problems once again. The evangelical community you know, rallied behind him last time around, but he's already having some problems there and in other traditionalist camps. So, yeah, he's going to get the nomination unless he makes another mistake like that. Um, but uh, you know, that, that doesn't mean that he's going to have enthusiastic support in the general election. He well, that's, that's that my together. point, because he's going to get the nomination regardless. I mean, I, I just think that's reality. The numbers are just staggering, and it's amazing. Again, they continue to go up no matter how many times he jams his foot in his mouth. So he's going to get the nomination because there's just nothing he can say that won't, well, that won't, uh, that'll, that'll force his, his, his base the onlys. I call them the onlys because they're the opposite of the never-Trumpers. They're the only Trumpers. Nobody else in the world other than Trump can do this, which I think is very, very foolish. But they're there. There's nothing that will drive them away. But absolutely, in the general election, there's another story here. He's going to have to appeal to some people who are moderate and who are, who are, who are pro-lifers. And, and, you know, how are people going to get excited about that? You know, you know, you say, yeah, I'm 98% sure that if he gets in again, he's going to be pro-life. Okay, but what does that mean and what does that look like? Is he going to support policies that are pro-life? Is he going to lend his voice to no on issue one in the state of Ohio, for example? Do not allow abortion on demand at any time, all the way up until the moment of birth, which is what this will do. Instead, he's condemning Ohio's heartbeat law. So I, I guess I just... 
I'm trying to figure out, since he's going to be our nominee, and we are all going to support him, how much vigor and energy, you know, how many backflips will we, will we be doing to support somebody who won't say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and who won't say that babies deserve to be protected once their heartbeat is detected? I think we just look to history. Trump has rarely disappointed conservatives when he's taken action. And that's the truth. You know, he has said things in the past that made us scratch our heads. But when push came to shove, you know, he did things that pleased conservatives. And you can go down the list. There are lists. I would, I would, there, I would, know, th- I would throw one major uh, fly in that ointment there, and that is, and I, and I thought of it when you said uh, jammed or shoved or whatever you did. He shoved needles in the arms of millions of people, and and that is something that is an action that millions of conservatives are completely opposed to and he still is not changing his viewpoint on that he still believes operation warp speed was the greatest thing that has ever been done and he ignores the vaccine injuries and the uh, myocarditis and the heart attacks and everything that else else that has happened to so many people that's one action that i would say uh you know kind of counters your argument but but please continue no no i I, you know there's he's not perfect as i said he's got flaws and he's made mistakes but in the main he does what conservatives expect, and I think the reason he has rabid support, there's a host of reasons, but one of them is, uh, and I tend to concur with this, is when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do his utmost to try to do it, as opposed to, and he's not perfect in that regard either, okay, but as opposed to almost every other Republican, those of us who've been around for a while, even those that we thought were staunch conservatives and are staunch conservatives, we were disappointed, not disappointed in a minor way, but in major ways and repeatedly. Whereas Trump has that, what you hear from people and when you talk to people all the time is um, when Trump is, when push comes to, sh- to shove, Trump is going to stand firm. Okay, he's not going to yield. And the reason why I think his poll numbers go up is people sense that, that every time he gets another indictment or another, you name it, um, they understand that the left is so petrified of him, that means something. Why is it that in the history of the country, no other candidate has been subjected to something like this? Is because they understand that Trump is going to be their Nader, that he is going to be, not, not Ralph Nader, but, <laughs> that, <laughs> but Trump when he says he's going to do something, is far more likely to do it than any other candidate out there. Now, I happen to think DeSantis may, may share some of that, but Trump is one of these guys who he's unshakable when he gets a, a, you know, he's like a dog with a bone. So he's not perfect, but people get that and they respect that, even when sometimes he does something boneheaded or they disagree with. They think that 90, when you roll the dice, you know, 98 times out of 100, he's going to come out you know, the way conservatives want him to, and they'll, they'll uh, you know, give him a pass on certain, you know, slips of the tongue or, you know, misspeaking because, at, you know, when push comes to shove, shove as I indicated, he's going to come down the right side. Now, uh, will DeSantis or some other candidate do the same thing? I think DeSantis is probably the closest to doing something like that. But one of the things people like about Trump is that, you know, for a lot of long-suffering Republicans and conservatives is he punches back twice as hard. He is the anti-George W. Bush. He does not, he's not out there to be some... Uh-oh. Now, now not only did we lose the stream, we lost Peter's cell connection in mid-sentence. So we need to get him back on because we've got about another five or six minutes of, of answers to, to come from Peter Kirsten. Now, by the way, what he was just saying is spot on. 
I remember in year one, well, really, even in the campaign in 2016, and then in year one and in year two, talking about the differences between him and the last Republican president, George W. Bush. George W. Bush was, was attacked and savaged by the media and by the left, unlike anyone, uh, unlike Reagan, unlike his father, unlike Reagan, unlike really any Republican or conservative president in, in not just my lifetime, but maybe ever. And he took it. He just took it and absorbed it and did not push back and allowed the left to define him. It was a huge weakness and a big mistake of George W. Bush. Trump came in and and did not just absorb those kinds of attacks. The exact opposite, as Peter was just saying. Uh, he punched back, uh, unlike George W. Bush. And Pete is back on the line now. So we'll let you finish that thought. And then I've got one more question for you, Pete. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, I just want an observation. This happens when my calls get dropped or when I'm there guest hosting for you. You know, I joke about the FBI, but sometimes I'm starting to wonder what the heck is going on. When I start to get on a roll, all of a sudden, <laughs> boom. <that's, laughs> yeah, I just think, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, Trump has a many, many faults, but he is the strongest in terms of not backing down from the uh, liberal zeitgeist. I mean, he punches back, and, you know, people love that about him because we're so used to seeing the all, for all, you know, his decent attributes, the George W. Bushes of the world, or the George H. W. Bushes of the world, and all these guys who want to go along to get along. And, you know, every time they do something like that, the left pulls the rug out from underneath them, and, you know, Trump does just the opposite. He punches back twice as hard. And there is kind of a psychic release when he does that, because we are beleaguered as conservatives. Every institution is held by the left, from the media to schools, you name it, entertainment. And we're getting abused all the time. We're called names all the time. You know, we're dissed all the time. And Trump doesn't take it. Trump simply doesn't take it. He's our champion. You know, better or worse, and there are a lot of flaws with the guy. And, uh, you know, I happen to think DeSantis would probably govern similarly, maybe even better. But um, Trump gives you that added punch. And for those of us who have been like, you know, battered wives, we want to see that. Pete, last thing, you you mentioned, you know, when his poll numbers keep going up and you talk about no matter how many of these indictments happen, you know, these people are so in, no, why are they doing this to him? They've never done this to any other candidate before. All very valid questions. So I want you to pretend that Donald Trump is not being indicted in Manhattan, nor in D.C., nor in Florida, nor in Georgia, that these things never happen. He's just the former president who, you know, I believe, I hate saying the word lost, but lost in 2020 and I think had the election stolen for him. I will always think that. But the point is, he's the former president. He's not the current president. He's running to be the president again, and there's no indictment against him. He's just the candidate who is running now. And he's how different do you think the polls look? How different do you think um, it is when people aren't rallying behind him because he is yeah. the he is the uh, the nader, as you said, the nadir. He is the you know the epicenter of of the left's you know fixation and trying to stop him. So that's why people push back to rally yeah, around you know, and circle the wagons. If he's not indicted. Or under these indictments, go ahead. How do you think it's going? I think that's an excellent question. I wish others had. This is something that should be the subject of, like you know, some sixty minutes profile. Because I do think that these indictments do enhance his formidability. He, I do think it's an indication. It's it's like some kind of a signal that even if he doesn't take overt action, he is so the left hates him and fears him so much that there must be something about him that is good for America. 
because the left hates America, is doing everything they can to damage America from the borders to criminal laws, to you name it, um, that the fact that this is the guy that they choose, every single thing about him, it's really astonishing. I know all of your audience out there has sat there listening to the radio or watching television and has seen some statement from the left that is just completely absurd, on its face absurd. You, you can come up with all kinds of reasons why Trump is a peculiar candidate or to hate him, but sometimes they say things that are just, you know, out of left field that we've never heard at any other time, and you ask yourself, why? Why this hatred? And, you know, you can come up with, as I said, a number of reasons, but it, 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 it is no longer rational. It's one of these things that's existential on the part of the left. I think they intuitively sense that this guy is the greatest threat to their hegemony that they've ever seen. So for that reason, I think that's why he gets a lot of support, even if people don't like how he behaves, even if they don't like all of his programs. They get a sense that he's for America, that he's America yeah. first. Yeah, and, and, and I'm part of that. Um, I, you know, Like I said, I have a lot of problems with a lot of the things that I've seen and heard from him, a lot of them, including it, especially COVID. To me, it's the defining issue of this moment in time, uh, and he has not learned a thing since uh, three years ago uh, about it. You know, He was all about it when nobody knew what we didn't know, and that's reality. I don't blame him for that, for Operation Warp Speed, but with three years of reflection now and three years of vaccine injuries and dangers and the fact that they don't work they were not safe nor effective he's the only one still saying nope it was awesome i saved 100 million lives i got a big problem with that but no matter what problems i have with him i agree i I, what they're doing to him is criminal and i want to i want to support him and i believe there are millions of people like this just so he can get back in there and jam it all in their faces what they tried to do to him is criminal and wrong and so we rally around somebody who's being victimized in such a way and i'm willing to do that you know, despite yeah. my, my misgivings about some of the policies. Yeah, exactly. And, Bob, remember one thing. Remember that poster where, where Trump is sitting there and pointing and saying, you know, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. I'm just in the way. And I think that's exactly right. There you go. Peter Kersenow, uh sorry about all the glitches, the phones and the screens and everything <laughs> else. Yeah, you may be targeted, my friend. You may be targeted. But we always appreciate you very much. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Bob. That's Kirstenau. We You can hear that interview, by the way, in its entirety um, uh, on uh, the podcast page at some point later today when the streaming gets working again. But just keep checking back to whkradio.com. That's whkradio.com on the podcast page. We'll take a time out now. Top of the hour news. We're going to come back and talk to Mary Rice Hassan. I'll tell you why when she gets here. On- this hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer.
number three underway. And uh, yes, yes, we're dealing with streaming issues. So if you're listening over the radio side today and you can't get the streaming, we apologize. I don't know where the status, what the status is, but it is being addressed. So please stop calling the station and telling us that the stream isn't working. We know it. We are working very hard on it. I know it's, you know, it's funny because radio in 2023 or in this era, <clears throat> this digital era, you know, we proudly tell you, you can listen to the radio show any day, any way, every day, in a different way. You can do it through your, you know, your home assistant device, your Alexa, your Google, or your whatever. You can do it through your, uh, your phone in your pocket. You can do it through your computer screen, your laptop, your tablet. You can listen anywhere in any way. And now it's gone. Uh, and you gotta go back to the old traditional radio. And I know that's frustrating. So we do apologize. Uh, but I promise you anything that you may have missed will be posted, uh, on the webpage at whkradio.com sometime later today when the stream is back up and working. So thanks to Peter Kirstenau. Great conversation with him in hour number one. We talked with Lieutenant Governor John Husted. If you missed either one of those, you can go back again later today and catch those. And now I want to pivot. I want to go back <clears throat> to the issue that continues to face so many of us. Um, it's coming right for us directly on November 7th in the state of Ohio in the form of issue one. And it's not the abortion part of it so much as it is the trans part of it. And again, the left and those who are in favor of that constitutional amendment don't want you to think that there is a trans part of it, but there is. They left the language very ambiguous for a reason. When they said any individual must be allowed to make up their own reproductive uh, health decisions on their own. They didn't say adult. They said any individual. That can mean child, minor, under 18. And reproductive health is impacted by things like transing, transitioning, or trying to change sexes. So therefore, uh, without any other involvement, that means they can do this without parental guidance. So they're coming for your kids in the state of Ohio. Flat fact of the matter. Full stop. So we're going to continue to talk about the dangers of these things. And joining me now is Mary uh, Rice Hassan, uh, J.D. She is the Kate O'Byrne, if I'm saying that correctly, Senior Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., where she co-founded the Person and Identity Project. That's an initiative that educates and equips parents and faith-based institutions to promote the truth about the human person and to counter gender ideology that is being forced into your kids' psyches uh, in so many different ways. I saw Dr. or excuse me, I saw Mary Rice Hassan with Dr. Roback on the Ruth Institute uh, recently uh, in a video in the interview on the Ruth Institute, and uh, she has been kind enough to join us this morning to talk about her efforts. Uh, so, Mary Rice Hassan, thank you for joining joining us this morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much, Bob, for having me on. Am I saying it correctly, Hassan, not Hassan? Yes. Yep. Okay, good. You just want to be just want to be sure. I want to make you feel feel make sure you feel comfortable. <laughs> sure. So, so let's let's start with um this this organization that you founded, uh, the Person and Identity Project. Tell us more about it. Yeah, so it's a it's an organization that we founded about three years ago, but really I've been working in this space with several collaborators for almost ten years because. What we've seen over the past decade, and markedly starting in the Obama administration, has been an effort by the left to force this ideology of gender into our schools, our law, our language, and in many respects, faith-based institutions and and schools and and just ordinary people have not been prepared for that. So when, when we saw this coming, we thought, okay, we've got to get some resources, 
We've got to make things simple for people, FAQs, but also deliver a lot of resources that people can use to educate themselves, their children, their congregations, um, and to push back on this at a public policy level. Yeah, and you know that's it's important that you mention that you mentioned the education, I, and I kind of just glossed over it in my introduction of you about all of the different places where children are um, having this gender ideology kind of force fed into them. It's in the schools. Um, it is also sad, and it's online with all of the online influencers, and sadly, it's in their own medical professionals' uh, offices as well. Yep. I want to read uh, um, a, a tweet to you from a woman named Marianne Jensen who went viral with a video that she made in uh, uh, you know opposing her schools or her school board in Virginia but she posted this mm-hmm. tweet on Sunday and i wanted you to respond to it quote took my 14 year old to the doctor friday as if there were uh, as if the renewed mask charade wasn't bad enough halfway through the doctor halfway through the doctor asks me to leave over my dead body, I said, this is my child, and anything can be discussed with both of us. She then proceeded to ask if there were any questions about gender identity. Nope, I stopped it right there. We cannot continue to fuel this madness. Fight it. Don't let your child fall prey to a manufactured identity crisis. It ends with us, or it continues to lay claim to more children until the family and our children literally become unrecognizable. So, Mary Rice Hassan, um, this is the one place where you, you hope and you expect that your kids can get honesty and can get, you know, true concern for their health, not to be talked into something, um, you know, such as the gender ide- ideology agenda that you're referencing. Yeah, so this is a huge problem, and I'm glad you're highlighting it, because the Society for Adolescent Medicine and basically the American Academy of Pediatrics are pushing pediatricians and adolescent medicine specialists to do what they call gender screenings. That means a kid comes in for a sore throat, they come in for a sprained ankle, they're going to be asking them what their, quote, gender identity is, whether they feel comfortable in their bodies. And usually, frankly, as as Marianne Jensen's tweet suggested, they try to do that when the parents are not in the room. So my first piece of advice to parents is, no matter how much you love and trust your pediatrician, don't leave the room. Okay, you have the right to be there. And if you voluntarily leave, then any part of that discussion becomes, quote, confidential because you have agreed to leave. And, and again, uh, you could have a very nice pediatrician, et cetera, but they can be really misguided or really um, wrongly persuaded by what's coming from the ideological um, medical associations. So stay in the room with your kids. Speak to your kids first that this is just a false belief system that you are created male or female and your feelings don't redefine reality in spite of what anyone might ask, in spite of what anyone might suggest. And then if a doctor pushes this, you got to find a new pediatrician because you have to be able to trust that someone is not going to have an agenda that is really going to ultimately be harmful to your own child. We're talking to Mary Rice Hassan. She is an attorney and the director of the Person and Identity Project. One quick follow-up on that before we start talking about the education mm-hmm. portion of this and, sadly, the parental portion of this as well. Um, can we trust um, the medical institution as a whole when big pharmaceutical companies stand to make billions off of a lifetime of you know, as many people as they can convince to stay on these hormones? And when the surgical surgical centers stand to make forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars 
per breast removed, per you know, uh, of male genitalia removed, per mm-hmm. plastic surgery, harvesting of forearm skin and flesh to create a fake phallus. They're creating lifetime customers by pushing this. Exactly. If they stand to make so much yeah. money, how can we possibly trust that they have our kids' interest, best interests at heart? Well, I think, unfortunately, Big Pharma certainly does not have our kids' uh, interests at heart. They have their bottom line at, at heart. And by the same token, most of the medical associations are really trade associations. They're not looking objectively at the research. They are being responsive to the people paying the bills, which in many respects is oftentimes pharmaceutical companies. So you just have to have that that realistic perspective on there. Um, But I I think also it's important to realize that because this is such a moneymaker here in the U.S. is one reason why there's been the resistance to pay attention to what's happening in Europe where they have looked at the data. It's not that they've been persuaded necessarily, the medical profession, about the truth of the human person, but they've been looking at the data and looking at the underlying research. And there have now been five different countries, the Scandinavian countries and the UK, that have said, looking at the data, this is harmful to children, and there is very poor evidence that it has any benefit. So their medical communities are doing a U-turn, whereas here in the U.S., they're, they're kind of doubling down. And even though the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, recently said it was going to commission a substantive evidence review, it did so after already reaffirming its policy, and they, they expressed their motivation. Their reason was because they were worried about state efforts to limit these intrusive medical procedures in minors. So it's, it's hard to trust that it's going to be a sound and objective um, you know, review of the evidence like we've seen in Europe. Um, Mary Rice Hassan is our guest. Um, I had a stat, and I don't recall it specifically, but it was in the neighborhood of around 1946 when a study was done. 0.03% of the population had been diagnosed with something called gender dysphoria. And now in 2023, or actually I think it was like since... 2000 to 2023 or something of that nature, some 21% are identifying with uh, different genders and suffering from what is being called gender dysphoria. And that cannot be, right? I mean, there's not just been some massive explosion in actual psychological disorders just coincidentally happening to scores of people like this. How can anybody see and hear those statistics or those similar to them and not believe that this is being taught? This is a social right, contagion. Right. It's an educational mission. We see preschool teachers and elementary school teachers uh, happily bragging about their classrooms and all of the flags that they have and all of mm-hmm, the pronoun mm-hmm. name name tags that they make kids wear and, and so forth. How can it be seen as anything other than a massive social contagion? Yeah, it's social contagion. It's driven by culture. And so just on the stats, just to clarify, the most recent stats from the CDC show that about one out of four high school kids identifies as part of the LGBTQ on and on community. Mm-hmm. But the, the number that's really troubling is a study that came out of Pittsburgh, of Pittsburgh high schoolers a couple of years ago, where they found that almost 10% of high schoolers are identifying as transgender or, quote, gender diverse, which just means they've repudiated the truth about who they are as male or female. 10%. In the past, it was literally a fraction of a fraction of a percent. So this has been this huge spike in a matter of about 10, you know, maybe 15 years 
that doesn't happen naturally. That is the product of this being taught, of it being promoted, of it being normalized to kids. And, and celebrating. Them, you know, a lot of kids celebrating. And a lot of kids are hurting. You know, there's a lot of mental health struggles and stuff. So this is like the promise that there, here's an easy solution. You are feeling miserable because you're really trans and you need to come out. And if you transition, your problems are solved. It's a false narrative. It's a promise that can't deliver. And, and as parents, as grandparents, people who are just concerned about what's happening in the culture, we have to be willing to stand up and speak that truth to say, that's just not right. We're male and female, not, not, you know, I believe that as a religious person. But you can also just look at science. Empirically, we know there's only male and female, and you can't change sex. So what on earth is all of this destructive medical and surgical interventions, you know, what is that aiming to do? It, it perpetuates sort of a mimicry and a, a, a false promise to kids who are struggling for other reasons. And then they don't get those underlying other reasons, you know, the, the sources of their pain never really get explored or dealt with. So one of the long-term consequences is we see that the mental health doesn't improve. In fact, it gets worse, and the suicidality gets worse over time when someone goes down this path in spite of, you know, the, the happy talk that unfortunately right. surrounds this issue. Well, those who um, go all the way down the path and go through with the surgical procedures uh, and to to have full on you know uh, sex changes, um, I believe the number is nineteen times nineteen times more likely to commit suicide or attempt suicide than uh, people in their in the general population in the same age group. That that's nineteen right. percent that higher. Nineteen times, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's right. And so we are talking about something that is just devastating to mental health. And again, to uh, you know, uh, their their the happy stories that they are told are just not true. And so, the last factor I want to I want to consider here with you, uh, Mary Rice Hassan, is the parents, because I just talked about here mm-hmm. how here in the state of Ohio, there's a constitutional amendment that made the ballot for this coming November, November 7th, would codify essentially into the Ohio Constitution any time abortion on demand and uh, essentially for any person of any age to make their own mm-hmm. reproductive health decisions absent parent guidance or approval. Yeah. And while obviously I think that's terrible because parents need to be able to you know help guide their children, the reality is there is a growing number of parents who are behind this. They're joining mm-hmm. and participating in the the trendy fad. That, you know, they they're doing it for cloud. I've got a trans daughter and a non-binary son, and it, which of mm-hmm. course the odds are just statistically impossible. They're they're adopting <laughs> right. children. They're in some celebrity celebrity moms mm-hmm. are adopting children and transitioning them while they're toddlers. They don't even have a say in mm-hmm. the matter. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know who we can trust if we can't even trust mom and dad in many cases yeah I, I think the number of parents who are jumping on board is is much smaller than you might think activists tend to have loud voices they do. and there there are good parents who can become confused and they listen to the experts and they go down the wrong path but the vast majority of parents we can see it in the stats they know this is harmful and so one of the problems with the ohio um you know the the proposed change the uh, the amendment is you're giving all the power to a child to make decisions that are going to sterilize them that are going to do irreversible harm to their body at an age there's no age limit there's no floor and so we wouldn't we don't let 14 year olds drive we don't let 15 year olds vote 
we don't let kids drink, you know, until much older, and yet we're giving them this power. This is just, uh, it, it's nonsensical, but it's devastatingly harmful to children. So we have to, as, as parents, as people who care about the future, we have to step in to protect kids and realize that no kid makes such a, a significant decision without adult guidance. What's happening here is an attempt to cut parents out of the equation so that other adults are going to step in and be the ones who are guiding them down this path. So no no 13-year-old is going to make a decision to, you know, get body parts removed on their own. It, someone's, someone's guiding them. Someone's pushing them. The question is who? And this this is an effort to cut parents out of the equation. And that should bother everyone, no matter where you stand on the underlying issues. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Uh, Mary Rice Hassan has been our guest. She is the Kate O'Byrne Senior Fellow at Ethics and Public Policy Center in D.C. And again, she co-founded in that uh, within that organization the Person and Identity Project. Um, you can uh, find more out about that project and maybe perhaps uh, learn a little bit more at personandidentity.com, personandidentity.com. And you can follow her on Twitter at Mary Rice Hassan, H-A-S-S-O-N, Mary Rice Hassan. I thank you so much Thanks for so coming much. on. Thank you for the work you're doing with uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Roback as well at the Ruth Institute. We have to continue to uh, fight this you. fight, and we need your leadership. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. God bless you. That's uh, Mary Rice Hassan. It's 1125, almost 26, so we'll take this time out, and we'll come back. I've got one more segment for you, and this one you can be a part of if you'd so choose at 216-901-0945. Stay here. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. All right. Wow. That was a uh, that was a lot of stuff. Three great interviews. I thought very compelling interviews for a variety of reasons. We spoke with um, uh, Lieutenant Governor John Husted in the first hour of the broadcast. We talked about COVID. We talked about Ohio's pa- policies and plans for the new COVID season. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted has no interest whatsoever in pushing or promoting these new booster shots. He says, to his knowledge, there have been no discussions about promoting them from the governor's office either or the Ohio Department of Health. So if you missed that conversation, you should hear it at whkradio.com later today. Then we had Peter Kirsten out for an hour, and we covered a ton of important ground, including the Nick Chubb story from last night. What a terrible, sad uh, way for the Browns' best player and uh, one of the best men, I think, in sports. Just a very, very classy low-maintenance, phenomenal player whose uh, knee got bent in a way knees aren't supposed to bend, and his his career might even be in jeopardy. He's out for this season. His career might be in jeopardy. But anyway, talked about that. And then, of course, we just had Mary Rice Hassan with some more on the ongoing fight to uh, counter the gender ideology uh, agenda. That's what it is. It's an agenda that is being pushed to groom children and to bring and rope parents into the nonsense in order to increase um, uh, political power and, of course, profit for the physicians who are, who are pushing all of this. So anyway, all of that to say that if you have thoughts on anything you just heard at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110, you may dial and we'll take your calls. Joe in Westlake is up right now. Hey, Joe, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Fire away. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for a spot-on interview with Lieutenant Governor John Houston. You asked all the right questions, and I'd, I'd just like to uh, mention, I think the Lieutenant Governor, he sounds like a reasonable guy, a lot better 
than DeWine. But, you know, there's one more thing I think he really needs to do before getting the support of the, of the Patriot community, and that's launch an investigation into vaccine injury in Ohio. If he does that, he'll truly differentiate himself, and I think he'll see people volunteer for his campaign. I'd like to mention one other thing. Uh, oh, you know, the, the governor helped bring in Intel to Ohio. That cost a, a huge amount of incentives, and it was also related to Biden's $52 billion uh, chip bill, where the government is going to give billions to build chip factories. And now we have Joby uh, Avionics building these uh, Harrier jet-like planes yeah. in Ohio, again with subsidies. And, Bob, I don't know if you're familiar with the Harrier jet, Oh, I am. Jet. Yeah, I mentioned that to the lieutenant governor. That's exactly the first thing I thought of was to hear because they they actually take off vertically. They don't need a runway, <clears throat> and that's exactly how they work. Although these are electric uh, and they don't take nearly as much, um, make as much noise or take as much propulsion to lift off the ground, according to what he said. The Harrier jet has one of the worst records of an airplane ever in history. It's a disaster. Uh, please look it up. It's the only airplane of its type where the wings will rotate to go from a vertical to a horizontal position. And the Joby planes do the same, but they do with electric motors. This is this is a completely new approach. It's got a terrible record. And when government invests in business, it looks good at first, but it doesn't foster a competitive environment that truly creates innovations and lasting companies. We saw that with Solyndra, with Obama. We've seen yeah. that uh, with Amtrak. We've seen that with many government investments. So it looks good at first, but the but the future is a lot more sketchy. I personally I'd like to see more support for a competitive, low tax, low regulation business environment and investment because that's kind of a longer, uh, better term outlook. Thanks. You got it. I appreciate the phone call. To be truthful, I don't know exactly how big the investment is. I. I think I heard $400 million or something like that, that Ohio, uh, uh, that is going to be invested in this. I, I don't know how much Ohio is putting in this or if this is private investment. Um, Joby, Joby Aviation has selected Dayton, Ohio as the new site for the first scaled electric aircraft factory with the company preparing to invest up to $500 million in the, um, in the new site as it looks to start selling their air taxi rides as soon as 2025. I I didn't see anything about Ohio's investment in this. Did Ohio have to come up with uh, with, uh, with some sort of a tax abatement, or did they come up with a uh, you know an investment of their own of actual dollars to bring it to Ohio? Since maybe a lot of other state, I I don't I, I just haven't seen that anywhere. And that doesn't mean that there isn't any. I just haven't seen it. So to to my knowledge. The company is investing $500 million to build this new facility in Dayton, and it's going to bring roughly 2,000 jobs to Dayton for for that purpose. If that's the case, I don't see the downside in trying this. Now, I will not dispute your knowledge of the Harrier and its um, uh, its reputation or its history or its uh, you know uh, viability or stability. Again, the Harrier jets, from what I've seen, I mean, they are extraordinarily extraordinarily loud. They are jets in every sense of the word. These flying cars, as they're calling them, are not jets. They are obviously prop uh, uh, propelled. They are propellers. Uh, they use propellers, and it is uh, those are electric generated. The power for that is electric generated, so not too terribly dissimilar, I'm sure, from the car electric car batteries. So I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go, or how far it's going to go, or how feasible it's going to be. In theory and conceptually, it looks interesting to me. And if it's not costing us investment in, you know, Ohio infrastructure or economic development, or if it's not taking, you know, millions and millions of dollars out of the Ohio um, general fund to do this to bring it here, then let's go for it. Let's see where it goes. Like I said, 20 years from now, 25 years from now, people might wonder how in the world did we ever get around and get from point A to point B without these things. They may be so convenient. They use helipads or heliports, if you will, uh, as he talked about. I asked him about them because there's not, you know, they seem similar in some ways to helicopters, and that's what they will use. They don't have to go to an airport, but they do have to have heliport landing pads, and those things will probably be put in place around if uh, more and more of these things become viable and usable. So there you go. Thank you for the call. And as far as the investigate, investigating of uh, vaccine injuries, I, believe me, I want an investigation to be brought forth, too. I don't know who I've had people call me, calling me and telling me this should be done by the attorney general. Uh, some are saying now, you know, uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted should launch such a thing. I, I don't know. I believe the numbers. I believe the VAERS reporting system. Which, is, which has never been in question before COVID as far as being reliable and trustworthy. That's why the CDC has it on their website. Um, so I believe in the number of vaccine injuries, and I believe in the number of people who have been severely hurt and some who have been killed, uh, you know, who had previously healthy conditions once they started taking the poison darts. Um, so I believe it, and I believe it should be investigated. I don't know how that launches. I don't know how that launches. It's not as though this is a congr- maybe a con- maybe congressionally, maybe outside the state of Ohio, looking bigger picture congressionally. There can be an investigation launched by the judiciary or oversight or anybody else, just like we have seen for uh, seen of the uh, Biden uh, fam- uh, first family of crime. Maybe there's a way it can be done at the federal level, but I just don't know what that way is. Mary is in the Shaker Heights. Mary, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, uh, this is just a comment on your your piece about the gender dysphoria. Okay. When you started talking about uh, seeing doctors, uh, kids seeing doctors, I my children are grown. In fact, I have grandchildren. I had a wonderful pediatrician who, from the time my first child was born, told me what a good mother I was and encouraged me, and I would have no problem leaving a child with her to discuss something if it was easier for them to discuss with her. The other part is, and part of that made me wonder when you started, where do these doctors go to school? I mean, I remember in college being with people who had great memories so they could pass tests, and some of them could not think. And the other part is what happened to, isn't it that the doctors first do no harm? Isn't that what they are? Supposed to. Yeah, that's the Hippocratic Oath. It has um, it has been changed, like so many other things. Um, it was never really like a quote unquote official oath, but it was considered to be what every doctor pledges is to first do no harm. Uh, but it has been changed, just like the definition of vaccine has been changed, just like the definition of of uh, of uh, vaccination and inoculation have been changed for the purposes of a political agenda. So, um, yeah, um, I would think that cutting off healthy organs would violate the pre- precept of do no harm. If you cut off a girl's healthy breasts and remove her breast tissue in order to try to turn her into a boy, you have done harm to her. Uh, and so they had to change that definition uh, and, and to essentially disregard the Hippocratic Oath. 
Well, I encourage parents to speak up for their children and to go in when anything is going on in school. I fortunately was raised by parents like that, and that is how I raised my children. If there was an issue, I would go in. And, you know, I I felt the same way as far as your first comment, Mary, about the doctors. And thank you for the call, dear. I appreciate it very much. Um, you know, I, I 20 years ago, I would have no problem walking out if my doc, my uh, uh, the doctor wanted to talk to the pediatrician, wanted to talk to one of my kids privately because they're probably going to ask about things like, you know, especially in their adolescent years, you know, about whether or not they've ever tried any drugs or whether or not they have been sexually active or attempted to be sexually active or. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.